Uh, but it really made me realize, you know, dedication, heart, and passion, especially passion, can get you through doors that you never thought possible. Welcome to Mountain Meister. That's the voice of our guest today. Joe, it's McConaughey. Correct? McConaughey. 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 Or McConaughey. What's up? if you were in high school. In the summer of 2014, Joe McConaughey set off to beat the supported speed record of the Pacific Crest Trail. He did it. 53 days, 6 hours, 37 minutes, averaging 50 miles a day. I thought I only had to do 44, so it didn't seem oh, okay. <laughs> didn't seem like 50 was that big. I mean, it was- to refuel, Joe would consume in a single day 8,000 calories. I ate like two and a half dinners of a normal person, and then I'd be like, get ready to go to bed, and I'd be like, I'm still super hungry. Like I just waited 30 minutes, and now like I'll eat another full dinner. <laughs> the project was called Run for Colin, named after Joe's baby cousin who lost a battle with neuroblastoma. I'm your host Ben Shank. You're listening to Mountain Meister. Little did you know that we met this past summer at (laughs) Trail Animals Running Club, a running club out of Boston. I found out that you were a track runner from BC, and honestly, this was my first time trail running. And when I heard you were a track runner from BC, I wondered, I wonder if he can really sustain distance or if he's just (laughs) really fast at the short stuff, but turns out you can. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Apparently, I'm not just a one-trick pony. <laughs> so what what did you uh, compete in at BC track? Um, I mostly did like miles. Um, I dabbled in the steeplechase a bit. Uh, the funny thing is I was actually awful at cross country. I had like severe anemia in college a few times, passed out during one or two races, and generally finished near the middle <laughs> middle or back of the pack. <laughs> and how, how long were those cross country races? Those were generally 8Ks or 10Ks. Okay. I guess before taking on this super audacious project, what was the farthest distance that you had run? Um, before I started training for it, uh, I think my longest run was about like 15 or 16 miles. Um, and then the summer before, I kind of like had gotten the idea. And so I went in and put in a few like high 20, you know, mid 20 mile runs. I'm like, okay, this isn't too bad. But I still had to train for a track and cross country in college. So I couldn't really you know, do that every week or anything. So I pretty much stuck it at that until I was a few few months out before the uh, before the actual run. So you you were doing 50 miles a day on the trail, but before that, just 25 was the most that you had ever done? Yeah, I'd done um, the week le- or the month leading up. I'd like finished my last track race, you know, said, said my goodbyes to the Boston College truck cross country team. And then I really like kicked it into gear. I had like a fat week, I called it. Um, and then I started building up by doing, you know, a few 20 milers in one week. Um, then I did a few 30 milers Then I did a few 40 milers and then I put the 40 milers back to back. Then I had five days of rest and then I was on the trail. Wow. Okay. But still never reaching the 50 (laughs) miles a day. No. Yeah. I mean, I thought I only had to do 44, so it didn't seem, (laughs) didn't seem like 50 was that big. I mean, it was a cool number, but I'd never, you know, Never pushed myself to that distance, which is pretty funny. <laughs> it's really funny because you did it f- f- 53 days in a row. Yeah, and that was my average, which is crazy. And right. I was putting in some like 64, 65 mile days. So. Oh my God. And so how did you even know it was possible to do it? Um, You know, I'd done like a lot. I was an Eagle Scout. I'd done a lot of hiking. Um, my problem with running was more just that you know, whenever I ran, if I like push myself to my extremes, my like body just couldn't always hold up. Um, 
but doing a slightly more relaxed pace and really like staying in control and pacing myself and being ultra conscious of my body, mm-hmm. I think really allowed me to go kind of beyond those levels of previous instances that I had. The biggest difference actually, like it wasn't, it was, it's mostly psychological when you're on the trail, but the diff- biggest like physical difference is just getting your muscles ready for the next day and starting and stopping. It's not so much like the in-between where never wasn't the worst part. It was actually like getting up with severe Achilles tendonitis on day one through 10 and like getting on the trail, stopping for a water break, realizing that I can't really walk very well Mm. and thinking, how am I going to start running again, doing it and getting back out on the trail. And, you know, then I could still go for 10, 20 miles still um, (laughs) after something like that, which is pretty, pretty weird. So the stopping and starting was the hard part. The running was actually the easy stuff. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was, it was like, I mean, I I was very smart about pacing. I knew if I went fast and it happened a few times when I was behind schedule, I like pushed myself and I was like, you know what, Joe, like just go, go, go. Like now's your time. I feel great. I'd run like four or five miles at, you know, like seven to nine minute pace. Mm -hmm. Usually I was going like 12 to 15, maybe 10 to 15. Um, But when I went like that seven to nine minute pace, I like, I was fine. And then five miles later, I had like one example, I had my knee swell up to the size of like a grapefruit. Another time I had my hamstring just got like the worst, worst, it felt like I got shot in the leg and had to like limp for like four or five miles. So it definitely, you know, hurt me if I really tried to push myself, but I was, and I was in control and smart and calculated. Um, I was able to keep pushing through and, and, you know, maintaining that speed to be able to cover that distance. That seems to be very difficult because I know when I go running and I am sustaining a really great pace, I feel awesome. And mm-hmm. I just want to keep going at that fast pace. So to hold yourself back from doing that, how did you how did you force yourself to do that? Yeah, I think everybody, you know, can kind of think about when you're going after something that's this big huge goal, like a record. You know, it has all this weight with it. And you see yourself, you want to see yourself as like the superhuman who can achieve anything and do anything, but really, you know, you're just a guy who's trying to do something that's kind of crazy. Um, do it, you know, for your family and do something that, you know, would make yourself proud. And you have to be able to step back and say, like, really, really, and this is like the epitome of looking at, like, the long goal as opposed to a short-term goal, you know. Like, there were days when I when I was starting out, I was doing 40 miles a day, which wasn't even on record pace. And I had to be like, okay, like, I was only on the trail for, like, 12 hours today. I should be on the trail for 12, 14, like, 16 hours maybe. But, like, it's the first week. I can do that. I have, you know, theoretically still almost two months to be able to catch that pace. And so having that goal on you know the grand prize and not getting caught up in you know the short-term goals which you had to be very you know dedicated and aim to hit those short-term goals to be able to achieve the long-term ones but to play that balance um, of you know going after something that's the grand goal while still making yourself take the short baby steps and hold yourself back occasionally to be able to achieve it yeah you mentioned family there can you talk a little bit about Colin um, and the purpose of this project Sure. So the purpose of the the project was to kind of honor and um, preserve the memory of my cousin, Colin. Um, He's actually my cousin Rob's kid um, and his wife, Andrea, and they're an awesome family. Um, I kind of grew up together with them. And then they moved out to the East Coast um, when I was in kind of, you know, like, I think I was like 12. So I didn't see him a ton after that. Um, And hearing that Colin passed away and having him pass away and going to the funeral and seeing them, you know, really made me you know, rethink 
values. And like, if I was going to do something like this, I didn't, it didn't want to be a project where it was about me breaking a record. Like I thought that was really cool and it's something I really wanted to go for. But I also was like, you know, I can do this project and, and honor Colin. Um, our family has gone through a lot of struggles with him passing away and, you know, visiting Rob, um, and Andrew and everyone, you know, we definitely have a kind of new, awesome connection that we can kind of share. And it really opens up the dialogue for, you know, talking about all the good times with Colin. And I really wanted to do something that would kind of, you know, continue on with his memory and would preserve his memory. And that would make my family proud. Um, and I, you know, didn't have anyone that I could be more grateful to do that for than, than doing it in the name of Colin. There's a film, uh, it's on your website, we'll have it on your Meister profile page too, um, and I noticed on your birthday you got a bunch of letters, I think, mm-hmm. from your friends. He yeah. talked about how meaningful that was. That seemed <laughs> that really was, neat. Oh, yeah, that was the first time I think I really like cried. <laughs> it was like day 24, I was like coming through, I had no idea either, like my girlfriend Katie set this whole thing up, she didn't, like I didn't get any warning. Um Jordan was like, hey, Joe, like, we got a package for you. And I was like, cool, like, this is my second package of the trip. Like, the last package I got was some, like, energy bars and stuff. And then this one had, like, just all letters. And I was like, what are they? Like, what the heck? What the heck is this? And Katie had, like, reached out to all my friends and was like, hey, Joe's running the PCT. He needs your support. It's for his birthday. It was actually two weeks after my birthday because um, it had gotten, like, sent to the wrong postal area. So, I, you know, I wasn't expecting anything. I was like, oh man, people just forgot about my birthday. But then I opened this package and I just like read through every letter and it was the epitome of like the feels hitting you, you know, and feeling good and realizing there were so many people watching you because I was so like isolated and lonely on the trail outside of my support crew that it was just so spectacular to think that all these people who I'd gone to college with, grown up with, my high school cross country coaches, my parents, people I'd spoken to in passing in class and that I, you know, just had added on Facebook were all inspired or moved. And, you know, there were people like, now I'm training for a marathon. Like, you know, this reminds me of, there was one of my friends who had a cousin who also was was affected by cancer. And it was just crazy to get all this support, outreach and support from friends and family. So neat. You had a great team with you. It seemed like it to me. And it seemed like you had nicknames for mm-hmm. everything. You you yeah. are String Bean, correct? I am String Bean. That is me, yeah. Who, who <laughs> else is in your crew? So there was Hot Flash, who was Michael Dillon. He was the filmer. Him and Jack Murphy, Fish Talks. Um, he just got Fish Talks every day, pretty much leading up to the PCT. Pretty duly named. Um, and then Jordan Brightside Ham. Brightside, because he was always the passive optimist um he was also kind of like the logistics coordinator jack did a lot of the music and filming um hot flash did uh you know a lot of the main filming and editing and then um bright side really was like the mastermind behind maps and day-to-day mileage and supply checkpoints and driving the car and not getting flat tires although he did get a few <laughs> and but the nicknames didn't stop there you have one for the the truck or the the car that you were using and your bags carne asada we were pretty happy we thought that was pretty duly named aptly named um and then also david and goliath for 24 liters and eight liter bags david obviously being the small little eight liter bag that i use the majority of the time and goliath being the monster gregory um 24 liter bag a monster 24 liter bag. <laughs> huge yeah. if anybody's a hiker you'll know how 
not big that is. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess this this leads us to this conversation of supported versus unsupported. Mm-hmm. We had Heather and Nish Anderson on the show uh, yep. who this past summer did this incredible unsupported uh, record-breaking of the uh, AT. And then mm-hmm. also Scott Jurek did a supported uh, version of breaking that record. You being so familiar with the supported uh, version, what do you what like impresses you most about the unsupported attempts? Well, you know, I did a actual unsupported attempt on the long trail, which is 273 miles in Vermont, and I got my butt kicked. Um, I'd gone like about 90 miles in a day and a half, and my left leg stopped being able to really bend past like 30 degrees and I couldn't put weight on it. So I had to get off the trail. Um, and the biggest, there's a few things that really, I really think about when you do supported versus unsupported. A, I like, I do like the unsupported version more actually, especially having done the PCT. I think it's kind of pure is a, is a lame word that gets tossed around, but I think it's, you know, a pretty good term. Um, it's pretty much you against the wilderness. And one of the things that kept me, alive and kept me running was actually Brightside, who would, you know, roll me out intensely with a pie roller once every or twice every day. Um, and if I didn't have him rolling my muscles out, you know, I don't know how well I would have held up. Um, I definitely would have gotten stopped much more often and kind of had a lot of in- more injuries on the trail. So being able to do that kind of mileage and push through without having someone who is, you know, paying specific attention to your muscles and well-being and making sure that you're keeping them in good condition while still covering those distances is an unreal support to have. And doing something like she did um, without that support is just spectacular. You know, I couldn't have more support for her. And also, you know, Scott's um, record is also incredibly inspiring with the mileage and the kind of come from behind uh, record breaking that he did. You know, he hit a rough patch in the middle, but he managed to come back, which I can't. It also is incredibly hard to pull off. So what was the hardest part for you? Um, there were a few, there were a few really low points. Um, the worst one was in the high Sierras. So, you know, you're getting up to Forrester Pass, which is 35 or 13,000 feet. And it's high. It's was the second day I was in the high Sierras. Um, it was my birthday. So, you know, this is well before I got that package and I go up in the high Sierras make it over Forrester Pass. I'm supposed to hit 44 miles. I had told the team, meet me at 44 miles. I know it's two or three miles after the spot where you hike in, but just meet me there. And I was wearing, you know, David, so my little eight liter backpack. Uh, I was wearing short shorts and a t-shirt. And I go over Dark's Ascending. I like pass the 41 mile point and I'm like, good, like they should be past here. I go to the 44 mile point and there's no one there. And I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere. The High Sierras don't have roads for like 180 miles. So I was just like, it's 11 o'clock. What do I do? I went to like the three campsites. Nobody was there. And I went to the ranger station, which there are three ranger stations on the PCT. So I was very, very lucky. Um, and they weren't responding to my, um, satellite phone. And so nobody showed up. I ended up getting this sleeping bag from the ranger, giving it back to him. I had a sausage, a bag of peanuts and two energy bars to get me through the next day. And I didn't know when I'd meet them or when I'd hear from them. And so I get up the next morning and I text them like, look guys, like this is seriously, if there wasn't a ranger station, like I, I may have like a serious threat on my life. Like if you don't meet me at um, this next place near Bishop's pass in 38 miles, like I'm seriously considering getting off the trail, which I didn't think I'd ever get to that point. Um, 
And so I was just super pissed. And I get to Forrester Pass and, or to Bishop's Pass. Jordo wasn't there. And I was like livid because uh, he told me he was going to be there. I'd gotten the text and, you know, they just had a miscommunication the day before and stayed at the wrong spot. So we just like snuck past each other in the middle of the night. So nobody was there. It had been like 48 hours almost since I hadn't seen anyone. But they, they placed a drop bag. So I was like, okay, I'll sleep here. Like I don't really have an option and I guess I'll keep going. And it was like, I think, 84 hours before I eventually met them. Um, and leading up to me meeting them, you know, I was very, very, very upset with them. And the pack they left me was just like some energy bars. Jordo had accidentally forgotten the lunch he had prepackaged for me, like at the town before he met me. So all he could do was buy some stuff at a 7-Eleven. So it was really awful food I was eating. And it was not, you know, what I wanted to what I wanted to see when I saw a resupply pack. But <laughs> when I actually saw them, it was weird. You know, when you're on the trail for so long and you're so angry and so bitter and so like tense and, you know, you're ruining my experience and I was doing so well and we're, this is the hardest part of the trail when I need you the most. When I actually met them, I was upset for a second. I was like, never do that again. Like, I'm so upset with you guys, but like, thank you for still having my back. Gave them a hug. And ended up going and doing, I think, like 45 miles the next day. And we, after that point, it really, like, changed the, to- the kind of nature of the, the whole run. And we really kicked it into high gear. And I, I think it was kind of trial by fire. And it brought us together as a team and, you know, helped us kind of achieve that goal um, and push through those moments. I lost, like, 15 pounds, too, 10 to 15 pounds in that segment. So In the, it really, in the 84-hour segment? Yeah, I look, I look like a ghost afterwards. Oh, my God. I, I saw that you... At one point, 150 pounds at six foot four. Yep that that puts you at unhealthy underweight according to the BMI charts that I was looking at. By a little bit, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right, it's borderline at, <laughs> uh, at the unhealthy underweight part, not just underweight. <laughs> You're listening to Mountain Meister. That's our guest, Joe McConaughey. Don't forget that you can help support this podcast by going to mtnmeister.com slash support or by leaving a rating and review on the podcast wherever you listen. You can also feel free to send me an email at ben at mtnmeister.com should you have any ideas, guest requests, or questions. Also, if you want to do more than just hear the podcast, you can see the podcast. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Mountain Meister spelled out. Thanks. Back to our conversation with Joe McConaughey. The team part of it just seems so, I mean, like having the people there at the end of what is probably a very emotionally difficult day of pushing yourself just to have like that social aspect seems so important. Yeah, they really allowed me to kind of kick back. You know, they dealt with a lot of like the smaller logistical things that I I could have done on my own. Um in terms of planning and everything, but it created such like a relief for me to just have Jordo come up to me and was like, Joe, I'm meeting you here, here and here for resupplies. This is where we're finishing. This is your mileage. What do we think? And I'd be like, Jordo, that's awesome. Like, just go for it. And then I'd do it. And, you know, having them there to kind of help me choke and laugh. Um, like we missed the first, the first checkpoint on the trail, eight miles in, it was this titled abandoned Jeep road on the PCT map. And we were like, oh, okay, like we have a decent car. Carne Asada can, you know, pull this off. And I show up eight miles and nobody's there. Good start. (laughs) And I'm like, oh God, here we go. (laughs) So I meet them at 20 miles in. That ended up being our first checkpoint. And I was like, guys, come on. And they're like, oh yeah, we know, like we couldn't get in. So I, you know, so I was able to laugh with them. And, you know, when things went wrong, 
I had people that I could kind of connect with and, and diffuse some of those tensions and feelings, you know, I had on the trail mm-hmm. that allowed me to just kick back, relax, and occasionally enjoy myself. Actually, I enjoyed myself a lot. That's a lie. So how, how did your relationship with these guys change? I, I mean, you were close with a few of them before the run. How about after? How did this change you, your relationship? Um, I mean, you know, they just became kind of my, like, go-to guys. Um you know, Jordan actually ended up moving to Seattle, um, which is kind of fun. Um, Hot Flash is in Boston now, and um, Fish Talks actually ended up moving out to Spain, which is kind of funny. So we're kind of all over the place. But, you know, we stay connected on Facebook just like we did from the start of the trip, before the trip started, all the time. Um, just like throwing random jokes, articles, new people going after records, talking about new projects, new everything. And, you know, they really, at the beginning, we were like good friends. I talked with them a lot. You really get to know someone on a totally different le- level when you spend 53 days, you know, day in, day out, everything you do with them. They had a lot. It was because they were always in the car together. They always had these super weird, random jokes that I just like stumble into when I was like, you know, half comatose, like just in like the trail mindset and like trying to catch up with everything going on. It was a pretty awesome dynamic. My roommate, Max, I ask him occasionally before interviews if he has a question for the person that I'm interviewing. He wants to know, at any point in time on the trail, are you risking your life in order to break this record? Like, how do you decide how far to push it and whether it's worth it? Um, The two big moments were that one point in the High Sierras, a pretty much identical situation. The High Sierras was the hardest point of the trail, like it's regarded as the most difficult. The North Cascades are regarded as the second most difficult. Um, I had a pretty much identical experience, except instead of having a sleeping bag, I had like blueberry bushes that I slept in. Like I made like a layer. It's actually in the um, opening scene of the film. Yeah. Um, And those were the, really the extremes. I mean, I definitely lost a lot of weight. The wildlife, a lot of people freak out about the wildlife. I have some pretty funny rattlesnake stories. Um, Let's hear one. Let's hear one. All right. (laughs) So, all my stories start with my support crew didn't show up. So here's another one. <laughs> so I finished the day. Um, we'd had, it was in, it was in like central California. And this guy, Sam Fox, who was this big inspiration for me, he had attempted the PCT record um, and raised a bunch of money for his mom who had Parkinson's. He was, you know, a big inspiration for me. And he actually decided he was going to fly out and run apart with me. Well, he took an overnight, woke up, got on the trail, ran 27 miles in like the longest stretch. It was like 95 degrees, um, just miserable conditions. And he was my, he decided he was going to be my mule. So he was covering, carrying like a lot of the water. We get to like six miles and he starts gagging. And, you know, there's a 27 mile section. We get to 12 miles. He starts puking. He can't run anymore. And there's, we're in this like random wind farm. We ended up finally figuring it out so that the support crew picks him up but I just keep on going. And because of that, you know, they missed the checkpoint to come from meet me at the end of the day. Cause they had to take Sam and kind of get them all, um, make sure he was healthy and okay and everything. And so I'm waiting there at the top of this like random, um, road in the middle of nowhere on this big hill. And I'm sitting there in this, in this tree and I'm wearing my classic short shorts and t-shirt and I have my eight liter bag on and I'm sitting there and I'm on this tree because I'm like really cold trying to get bundled up next to it. And I'm sitting there. My eyes are closed. I'm just waiting to hear a sound for the car to finally show up. It's dark out. I'm wearing sunglasses, trying to stay as warm as I can. And I just hear like a, like a rustle. 
And I'm like, okay, that's weird. Like that wasn't a, you know, car hitting a rock or anything. It's probably not them. And I hear like, Shh, and it's a little closer. So I open my eyes and it's dark. And I see this like little white blob next to me and it's on the branch and it's maybe like oh. a foot away from me. And I'm like, that's weird. Oh my God. I just jumped up and sprinted away <laughs> and I freaked out and it was probably about, you know, a foot away from me. And I took a picture with it to make sure it was a rattlesnake. And I like flipped out, didn't know what to do, found a log on the ground, like put bark down as a base layer to try to stay warm and hovered up next to it, made a little like pea circle marking my territory because <laughs> I was so freaked out. And then I like covered up with some like old dead leaves that I'd found and like was super like attentive to hear any rustling. And they ended up showing up like an hour later. And I was just like mildly traumatized, having kind of, like PTSD of a snake like jumping at me from the time. <laughs> yeah, you haven't seen The Revenant by any chance, have you? Oh, I have not. I okay. want I really do want to see it, but I have not gotten to see it yet. You using this uh this bark as a base layer as you put it, mm-hmm. putting it reminds me of a scene in The Revenant. Um <laughs> I won't give it away though. It's pretty graphic. I didn't get attacked by a bear like he did. So right, right. That's, that's true. That's the one good thing. <laughs> you uh, you had one bear encounter um that was a little out of the ordinary, right? I had a few, yeah. A few. So- the um, funniest one was I was turning this corner and, you know, you can tell bears just because they make really weird. They make stupid, weird sounds. I don't know what bears do. It's like they're having like little parties outside in the woods when you can't see it. And so I'm like running and I hear like, and I'm like, I have no idea what the sound is, you know, and I'm like, but that's not normal. But I'm still running and I'm having my trekking poles. I had my trekking poles for the majority of the run. And there's this big tree right in the middle of the trail. And I go take a turn around the tree. About 10 feet away from me, there's this bear. And he's just ripping up this log. He's, like, going at it with his claws, probably trying to find ants or some bugs or something. And I'm, like, seeing him. I kind of, like, yell out a little bit. And he looks up, totally shocked. And I get in my kung fu stance with my (laughs) trekking poles. And I'm, like, ready to, like, hit hit this bear right in the face. And uh, he just sprints off and runs away. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm the man. Like, I scared off a bear. You don't, have, don't stand a chance against me. But really, I just scared him enough. They're little scaredy cats. So you'd be, you'd be really good in one of these games where you have to um, say something that you've done. And then if anybody else has done it, <laughs> you know, you've had a lot of, like, unique experiences doing this. Very unique experiences. Right. Another one of my favorite ones that I just love telling is just – I was running in the North Cascades and, you know, it was late at night and I was feeling really good. It was one of those moments when you were talking about once you get in a groove, like you get in a groove. Mm-hmm. And I just had tunnel vision. You know, I'm sure you've, have you done an ultra, Ben? I haven't done an ultra. I've done a couple of marathons. Yeah. Okay. When you do, like when you're running in the middle of the night and you just have your headlamp, like you, you get lost. In you the said when, right? when you do. Let's go, with, do. let's go with if. When you do. When you, <laughs> okay. do a, when you do an ultra, we'll get you on a tarp race soon. <laughs> when you do one, like you get stuck in the tunnel vision. And so I was just, you know, feeling that and running really well. And all of a sudden this porcupine is just sitting there on the trail, like staring up at me innocently, um, like this little cute little forest creature. And, the weird thing is I was on this trail. It was about like a foot of trail, steep drop off from onto my left, steep cliff to my right. So I can't get around it. And I'm just like, what do I do? So I like clap my sticking, my trekking poles together to try to get this guy moving. And it kind of freaks him out and he starts running away. So I'm like literally running after this porcupine <laughs> in the middle of the trail and he like won't leave. And so he like is running and you could imagine this like fat porcupine, like they're not meant to run. And I'm just like right behind him and he's like slowing down. He's like starting to almost like gallop fade into like a slow walk. And then I hit my trekking poles again and he freaks out. And I probably follow this guy for 15 minutes just running behind a porcupine. 
And then finally he stops and he just turns around and looks at me like, if you're going to eat me, just eat me. Like, <laughs> this is the, like, I can't do anything more. And I, like, hit my trekking poles together, and he was like, okay, fine. So he started running. It took him another, like, five, ten minutes, and finally there was a little spot where he could jump off the trail. But I was just so perplexed. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so funny. It's, it, and he obviously didn't shoot any quills at you. That's a myth for anybody out there who thinks that porcupines can shoot their quills. They can't. Not a fact. Right. Myth. <laughs> Mythbusters approved. Yes. <laughs> This is Mountain Meister, the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. Don't forget to check out our full library of over 160 episodes. That's at mtnmeister.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. One of those is our 2016 goals episode where we talk about what we want to accomplish in the year of 2016 and strategies to increase effectiveness. It's not too late to create and share your goals. We're only one month in. mtnmeister.com. Check out our 2016 goals episode. How how did this trip change you? Looking at who you were before you did this project and now after, how did it change you? Um, It changed me in a few ways. I think it made me a more empathetic person. Um, I think it made me like... You know, I've been like very lucky with how my life has turned out and not having a long-term injury from doing this or ever really like, you know, having any terrible breaks or disease or illnesses. Um, I think that's one thing that, you know, has made me like realize how lucky I am for everything that's happened. I think it's made me like appreciate my family more too. Um, And I think it's also really like made me realize that if I put my mind to something um, and really go after it, you know, it's doable. It's pretty crazy to think with the training I had versus like Scott Jurek's background or Anish's background or anybody that goes after these kind of records or long distance attempts. I mean, everyone has their different story, uh, but it really made me realize, you know, like dedication, heart and passion, especially passion can get you through doors that you never thought possible. Maybe, you know, you'll need you'll need some luck and some pushes and a lot of help along the way. Um but, you know, if you have that positive mindset really can have, like, drastic effects in what you accomplish and what you can do. We like to get a gear recommendation from our guests that join us on the show. Was there one piece of gear that you had on this that you just fell in love with? Um, I've talked about it a bit. The Gregory Tempo 8 was just, like, I, had a, I was a big fan of it. It's, like, the perfect running backpack for that like that distance and experience um it like carried so much food for how small it was yet i never really noticed how big it was or how bulky it was um you know i could carry like 2500 calories worth of food um with like a jacket and two liters of water in one little eight liter pack and i also never got any kind of chafing or anything from it which is pretty weird Hmm. um especially because i didn't normally run with backpacks so you know theoretically my my skin wasn't at all calloused or kind of like prepped to do something like that but it worked out incredibly well um so i love that definitely great the second one i'd say which is very generic but the pie roller that jordan had had was glorious (laughs) it was like pie rollers are like very generic thing to have random totally but totally useful. I'm like, owe my life to that thing. 
I still have it actually. I still use it sometimes. It's same, like, same one. Same one. It's dirty, nasty. I like almost thought about it's like the the grime at this point is like seeped into it. But I was making like pasta the other day, and I was like, man, I really need to roll out this Stop pasta. Stop it! But I didn't use it. Okay. I didn't. <laughs> but I was I was like, man, the only thing I have is this dirty, dirty pie roller. <laughs> But I'm not going to use. <laughs> you know, that's something that you can't buy, though. The emotion that uh, that pie roller evokes. You got to use it enough in order yeah. to feel that way. So, I know. I, I did. I, I, like, have gotten all the utility squeezed out of that thing. Yeah. To maximize my... <laughs> I mean, Who like, knows? You know, maybe that pasta would have tasted great. Just be exactly. emotionally knowing that <laughs> that pie roller was used to make it. They say something's made with love. No, that would be made with literally sweat and determination. (laughs) Yummy. All right, those two on your Meister profile page, the Gregory 8 Liter and the Pie Roller, uh, mtnmeister.com. We have one final question for you, Joe, and that is who would you like to hear next on the show? You're today's Mountain Meister. Who would you like to hear uh, have a conversation similar to this? That's a great one. Um... Oh, I have one for you. So there's this lady in Iceland. So Josh and I, mm-hmm. who introduced us to each other, we did this running trip in Iceland. And literally, we were like, okay, he's going to Belgium for like a conference. I'm going back to the States after I'm done in Austria. Let's meet somewhere in the middle. We picked Iceland. We randomly messaged this Facebook group. And Elizabeth, um, I'm going to butcher her last name. Is it an Icelandic last it's name? It's an Icelandic okay, yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth Morgitsdottir, I think that's how you pronounce it, and um, this guy Biggie, they kind of took us under our wing, and they literally were like, hey, we both are self-employed, like, we'll take five days off and do whatever you want. Like, we can go explore, check out all these really cool trails, and you're going to have a great time. And Elizabeth and Biggie are awesome, and they actually just bought a kind of running adventure company, um, or became major players in it, basically, so they take you for like incredibly cool, awesome experiences and trail running adventures in Iceland. Um, and Elizabeth and Biggie would be awesome to have on the show. Elizabeth is like um, in charge of running the Mount Esja ultra marathon, which is just like this loop. So I forget, I think it's like 800 meters elevation and you do that seven times for like 40 miles. So it sounds miserable. But it's also sounds pretty hilarious, um, and I, we actually went up that hill, and it's it's hard. I can't like, no, it's eleven times actually too. Seven's too easy. It's eleven <laughs> times. Um, those two on the show would be would be awesome. They're going to have a lot of stories. All right, great. Keep an ear out for Elizabeth and Biggie on a future episode of Mountain Meister. Joe McConaughey, thanks so much for joining us. Great conversation. Yeah, I had a blast. It was a great time. Thanks for having me. Check out Joe's Meister profile page on our website for pictures or any resources we mentioned. The Run for Colin film is going to be there if you'd like to see some of the things we talked about. Stay tuned for an extra part of our interview about Joe's physical state after he finished. But I didn't run for three months, and when I did start running, it was miserable. Like, I hated it. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you liked it or you didn't, You can let me know, ben at mtnmeister.com, or leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until the next time you hear my voice, enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, 
Ben Shank. You've been listening to Mountain Meister. How about after the run? I mean, physically, you were beat up. Uh, you had pretty severe tendonitis in your Achilles, blisters. How long did it take you to physically recover after this run? It was weirdly quick, yet weirdly slow. It took me a while. It took me like four or five days to like feel okay. Like I would like, like I slept thirteen hours the day after. I think I ate like fifteen pancakes. My girlfriend made me just as many pancakes as we had, so I ate all of them. Um, and just like really lavished myself for a while, gained back like 13 pounds, um, of the 18 I'd lost in about a day and a half. Um, and I was pretty much okay, except for my ankle. I'd had like basically mild calcification where you're kind of, it's called the retinaculum. Um, but it's like where the tendon kind of is pulled back and kind of goes through before connecting your shin to the top of your foot. So instead of having your tendons splay out, it kind of holds it back. And that had been like incredibly inflamed and almost inflexible. And so it took me a while with PT to be able to like flex my foot or to be able to fully extend my foot. You know, when I finished, I could probably extend it maybe like a hundred degrees probably was my full flexibility. Oh, wow. Um, So it was pretty, pretty rigid. Right. Um, And that took maybe like a few PT sessions and like, two months to fully heal up, but it didn't bother me too much, but I didn't run for three months. And when I did start running, it was miserable. Like I hated it. Hmm. I did like four mile runs and I'd go at like a really slow pace. And I just be like, that was not enjoyable at all. And it took me maybe like five or six months. I kind of kept at it a bit before I really started getting in a groove. And I was living in Austria for the year. So there were a ton of mountains and places that I really wanted to explore. So um, at that point, I was able to kind of start doing that, but it really took me a while to really feel good about running again.